Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, Daniel. How long does it take you to do the research for one of these episodes? You know, it used to take me quite a while, but I'm getting quicker at it. Mm, Is that because time passes more quickly as you get older? (laughs) Like a special relativity thing? (laughs) Maybe, or I guess I've just gotten more efficient at the preparation. Oh yeah? Like uh, you can read faster or you can process information better? (laughs) No, I think I just developed a better mental Jorge simulator that can predict what you might be interested in or what you might not be interested in. Oh, sounds like you just need uh, like an AI version of me. (laughs) Then I don't even need to be here. It's not artificial intelligence, it's natural. It's uh, cartoonist intelligence. (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, it kind of depends. You know, what's interesting is kind of relative, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. What's especially interesting is kind of relative. So I guess it kind of is all special relativity. Mm, Yeah, I definitely have some special relatives. (laughs) Did you predict I was going to say that? I predicted you were going to say something hilarious. Hi, I'm Jorge, my cartoonist and the author of Oliver's Great Big Universe. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a professor at UC Irvine, and I'm still training my brain to understand the universe. Wait, don't you need to know how the universe works before you can train your brain to understand it? We can do two things at once. We can try to figure out how the universe works, and we can try to wrap our minds around the bits that we have figured out and try to gain some intuition for all this craziness. 
I feel like this podcast is a little bit of training into like how to think about the universe, how to explore it, how to ask questions about it. Should we be charging tuition? <laughs> We're just sharing the love, you know. But you're right, because most of our modern theories of physics are expressed in a kind of inaccessible language, mathematical equations that do show us the relationship between bits and pieces and allow us to make predictions and stuff. But it's not always the way our brains work. So one of the goals on this podcast is to break it down and give you an intuitive understanding to try to make it all make sense to you. Yeah, I guess we offer free intuition, but not at a cost of free tuition. <laughs> no tuition intuition. That should have been the title of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it all comes to fruition. <laughs> but I mean, you're welcome to pay tuition if you like. Send us gold coins or dollars if the inspiration strikes you. You take tips. Do you have a tip jar in your classroom? I don't have a tip jar, but I did once walk into a classroom and find an envelope with thousands of dollars in it. <laughs> Whoa. Where's your university? <laughs> it's a public university, man. So it's not like some student just like dropped a pile of cash. I think it must have been some club organizing in the room before us or something. Mm, sounds like maybe they were trying to bribe you. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think somebody must have panicked when they realized they left it behind. Or it could have been a tip. I don't know. You could have just assumed it was a tip. I'm not so cheaply bought. But anyways, welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we use our inspiration to improve your intuition for absolutely no tuition. Whether or not the jokes come to any fruition. That's right, because it is an amazing universe for us to ask questions about and to explore and to learn about how it all works. And part of the process of doing physics is not just writing down on some sheet of paper a bunch of math and then gesturing at it and saying, trust us, this works. It's about understanding. In the end, physics and all of science is motivated by our curiosity, our desire to understand. And that means translating all of this stuff, everything we've learned back into something that makes sense to us, that clicks together in our minds and we go, oh, well, that's kind of weird, but I guess it does make sense. Yeah. Plus, I don't know if I trust you anymore. I mean, now that I know you're open to bribery. <laughs> I didn't say I was open to bribery. You said I was open to bribery and I said I wasn't. It sounded like you're open to tips, quote unquote tips. People are welcome to send us donations to the podcast, but it's not going to affect how I grade in my class. No, I turned that stack of cash over to the campus police. Oh, wow. Are you saying you tipped the police? <laughs> I don't know what they did with it, but I can only assume <laughs> that they did something responsible. But yeah, this universe seems to depend on your point of view and also how fast you're going. Because something we've learned over the last hundred years is that our ancient intuition for how things work doesn't always work. It only works in the special cases that us and our ancestors got to see things moving pretty slowly. And when you take those rules and try to extrapolate them up to things moving really, really quickly, you find they just don't work anymore. You need a new set of rules. And those rules give us weird new insights into the actual nature of space and time. Yeah, over a hundred years ago, Einstein discovered something called special relativity. Einstein developed special and general relativity. That's absolutely true. I don't know if he invented it or discovered it. He certainly uses it to describe the universe that we see around us. Yeah, over a hundred years ago, Einstein discovered something called relativity, special and general, in which he discovered that things don't always look the same uh, in this universe. Sometimes it sort of depends on your relative point of view. Yeah, Einstein really shook the foundations of our understanding of reality. Newton gave us this idea of space and time as being absolute, like the fixed backdrop of the universe. But Einstein showed us that space is relative and so is time. 
and it leads to all sorts of bizarre effects, clocks running slower, meter sticks looking shorter, and information disappearing into black holes. Yeah, it kind of seems sometimes that the universe has these paradoxes and these contradictions, but actually it all sort of works if you dig into the math, right? It all does actually make sense in the end. It's just a different kind of sense. So today on the podcast, we'll be tackling the question... Why do moving objects look shorter? I guess moving objects look shorter. <laughs> this is not like how your bank account seems to shrink when you're on a trip, you know, or on vacation. This is the effect commonly known as length contraction. That things going super duper fast relative to you seem to look shorter than they do when they're at rest. Mm, that's one of the consequences of having a speed limit in the universe, isn't it? Absolutely. It's one of the consequences of special relativity, which starts from the postulates that there's a speed limit to the universe and that light always moves at the speed of light for everybody, regardless of who they are and how fast they're going. Out of that comes all sorts of weird changes we have to make to space and time and velocity in order to make things still make sense. Mm. And so on the podcast here, we've talked about how um, as you're moving at close to the speed of light or moving near really massive objects, time slows down. We've talked about that quite a bit, right? Yeah, moving clocks run slow. So if you see a clock moving past you at half the speed of light, then you will see it tick slower than a clock you are holding. That's time dilation, a concept we've talked about lots and lots of times. Right. And then there's the idea that it's not only time that can sort of stretch and, and, and change, it's also distances or the length of things. Yeah, if you are traveling really, really fast, then distances in front of you seem shorter. Like if you're flying between here and Jupiter and you're moving really, really fast, then the distance between here and Jupiter seems to shrink. So like if uh, there was a, a giant meter stick between here and Jupiter and I was moving towards Jupiter really, really fast, then that meter stick would look shorter than it actually is to me. It would look shorter to you, but there is no what it actually is. There's just a lot of different viewpoints on it. It's all relative. Well, I guess what it would look like if you were uh, not moving relative to the stick. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we call the proper length. But in that case, I'm moving really fast. It's not the meter stick or is it the same thing? It's exactly the same thing. The meter stick would say you look shorter and you would say the meter stick looks shorter. The whole effect is symmetric. Same way the time dilation is symmetric. If I think you're moving fast, I see your clock running slow, but you also see me moving quickly. So you see my clock running slow. Mm, but I guess doesn't it depend on like which direction this ruler is flying? Like if the ruler is flying let's say, um, away from me really fast, it would look shorter. But what if it's moving like from, I see it moving from my left to my right. Would it still look shorter? It would look thinner in that case. The direction it's moving relative to you is the direction that gets contracted. If it's always moving along its length, then it's going to look shorter, even if that length is pointed along X or along Y or along Z or in any direction. If it's moving along its length, it's going to look shorter. I see. So like if someone launched... A ruler really, really fast from my left to my right, it would seem shorter than it would if I just held it in my hand. That's exactly right. Yeah. So then the question for today is, why does that happen? All right. Well, as usual, we were wondering how many people out there had thought about this question or wondered why things look shorter when they're moving really fast. Thanks very much to everybody who answers these questions. We love hearing your voices and we'd love to hear more of your voices. So please don't be shy and write to us to questions at DanielAndJorge.com. So think about it for a second. Why do you think moving objects look shorter? Here's what people had to say. The Doppler effect, is that what it's called? 
the red shifting thing. So like basically when the object, uh, the object comes closer to you, like, I guess like it looks like the wavelengths, wavelengths shorten, right? They get shorter. So like, uh, objects, you know, they get a little louder. Uh, the colors look a little brighter. Uh, the wavelengths shorten and so the object looks shorter because the wavelengths of the colors of the object is shorter. Yeah. So that's why. I think they look shorter just due to the fact that it's more for our brain to process, you know, as opposed to if an object was sitting still. Um, and then obviously when there's more to interpret, that obviously creates uh, more of a margin of error with our perception. I would assume that the reason that objects appear shorter, especially as they approach light speed, is time and space dilation. So as it approaches light speed, it would just appear to shrink. I'm not really sure. I think that for a human eye optics, moving objects look actually longer because of motion blur. But special relativity states that moving objects get shorter. I don't exactly remember why. Moving objects look shorter because the back has gotten closer to where the front was when you saw it by the time you see the back. All right. Lots of interesting answers here. <laughs> very creative answers today. But they all sound very sciencey. <laughs> Talking about Doppler effects and... <laughs> Red shifting and space dilation. Yeah, motion blur. Some of these answers are way off and some of them are pretty close. Pretty cool. These are people that you found in your department or people on the internet? These are just folks from the internet, listeners to this podcast. Nice. Well, let's dig into it. Uh, Daniel, wh how, what is the physicist's definition of length dilation? So we usually call it length contraction. Wait, is there a difference? Can you also have the length dilation or does it only contract? You can only have length contraction. The longest something can be is if it's at rest relative to you. So you're holding a meter stick. That's the longest you're ever going to measure that meter stick to be. That meter stick is moving past you at a certain speed, then you're going to see it shorter. And the way I like to phrase it to be very clear to make sure it's relative is that moving objects look shorter. Even if they're moving like away from you or towards you, it still gets shorter? They still get shorter. Yeah, that doesn't make any difference. In the same way that like moving clocks run slow tells you that you are seeing that clock run slow because you see it moving and it sees you moving. So it sees you running slow. In the same way you see a meter stick moving, you see it looking shorter. It also sees you looking shorter because it sees you moving. It's a symmetric effect. Mm. All right. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> what is the physicist definition of length contraction? So it's just that moving objects look shorter. You define the proper length of something to be its length when it's not moving. So you're holding the meter stick. You call that the proper length. Then you zoom that meter stick by you at like 10% of the speed of light, which doesn't sound impressive, but it's super duper crazy fast. Then you'll see it a little bit shorter. You'll see it like a half a percent shorter. You speed it up to like half the speed of light and you'll see it be like only 85% of its proper length. And as you get up to like 99% of the speed of light, it'll shrink down to like 15% of its proper length. If you get to like 99.99% of the speed of light, it'll be just over 1% of its proper length. So you can see things getting like super duper short as they get super duper fast relative to you. Mm, I guess I'm wondering what it means to see something like that moving that fast. You mean like if I take a picture of it, like let's say a ruler is zooming by really quickly by me from my left to my right and I take a picture of it as it's going in front of me. In the picture, it's going to seem shorter than it would if I held the ruler in my hand. 
It's great that you asked that question because we have to be very specific about what we mean here by these measurements because it makes a difference. And actually, if you take a picture, you would see the ruler looking weirdly longer because a picture captures all the photons that are arriving at you at one moment. And that includes another effect, which is that it takes time for that information to get to you. And part of the ruler is further from you and part of the ruler is closer to you. So that combines two different effects. One is that the ruler looks shorter because it's moving faster. And the other one that the back of the ruler is further from you. So it takes light longer to get to you. No, no, but if the ruler is moving from my left to my right, like it's zooming past me like a train would, like if I'm standing next to uh, some train tracks and I see the train going from my left to my right and I take a picture of the train as it's passing by in front of me, is that train going to seem shorter in the picture or the same length or longer? Again, the picture combines two different effects. One is the special relativity effect and the other is the very normal light takes time to travel effect. And so usually what we do is not use the idea of a mental picture, but imagine that we have like a bunch of assistants all spread out to our left and to our right. And they mark like when the train front or when the train back passes them. And then we can use the distance between the train front and the train back to say how long it is. Mm, but what happens in the picture case? Like what if I take a picture of the train or the ruler moving from my left to my right? Like, aren't all those photons leaving the stick at the same time? And so then they would arrive at the camera or my eye at the same time? They're leaving the train or the stick at the same time. The stick has length, so it takes longer for the back end photons to reach you than the front end photons. And I think combining photon travel time and actual length combines two different complicated things, which are kind of hard to hold in your head at the same time. So usually when we talk about special relativity, we assume that we can take care of the photon travel time and say that we have a bunch of assistants all through the universe, all making measurements and take local data. And then we combine that information later to figure out what happened. So we take away this effect of photons take time to get somewhere because it adds another confusing layer. Mm, but I guess, I mean, we're saying that things look shorter, right? And your eyes sort of look, acts like a camera. Are you saying that like maybe what you mean by looking at something is not quite the same, but as what um, everyday person might mean by looking at something? Yeah, I think that's fair. When we do physics experiments, we're very careful about how we make those measurements. So really what we mean here is if we take a very careful measurement of the length of the object, we will measure it to be shorter than if it was stationary. Oh, all right. Well, I, I think we just should just be kind of clear about what we mean by things looking shorter. What we mean is that we make a careful measurement of the length of this thing involving us and a bunch of assistants all along like the track of a train and noting when it passes by. And then later we get together and we compare our measurements and we say, you know, Juan measured the back of the train at this time and Sally measured the front of the train at that time. And then we can use that to figure out how long the train was. Mm. All right. It sounds like we need to dig into this scenario of, of you and all of your assistants and how they're <laughs> measuring the length of this ruler and or this train to maybe really uh, understand what's what we mean by things looking shorter or, or not. So let's dig into these details. But first, let's take a quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. 
the all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Are you ready to instill your littlest scholar with a love of learning? Introducing the Preschool Course from the Good and the Beautiful. Enrich curious minds with engaging hands-on material that cultivates an appreciation for literature, art, God, family, and nature. This award-winning system uses a balanced approach to introduce letters, numbers, fine motor skills, and more. Start your journey now at goodandbeautiful.com. The Good and the Beautiful, bringing home a love of learning. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we're talking about length contraction due to special relativity. And that doesn't have to do with how long this podcast is, right? <laughs> or, or how much my questions <laughs> dilate the length of the, the running time of this episode. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. No, but it's good. It's important we explain exactly what we mean and we not use jargon. So let's hash it out because there's some really interesting, like apparent paradoxes that come up when we try to measure these lengths really carefully. Okay, so we're asking the question, why do moving objects look shorter? And it seems like we're not really asking the question why they look shorter. It's more like why when a bunch of physicists try to measure something moving fast, they measure things to be shorter. Not really, because the, the idea of looking at it, <laughs> you're saying convolutes several things. Yeah, I would say, I guess that's how physicists look at something, right? We don't just take a picture. We think about what that picture is actually measuring and realizing pictures are not the best way to measure the length of something moving really, really fast. So instead, we hire a bunch of assistants and lay them out in a line so we can take measurements and figure out how long that thing really is. Okay, so then let's maybe paint that scenario. I'm sitting by some train tracks and the train tracks go from my left to my right in front of me. Mm -hmm. And now I, there's going to be a train passing by and I want to measure how long the train is. Yeah. 
and you're saying don't take a picture of it because uh, the picture might lie to you. You're saying hire a bunch of people, and then now what's your scenario? What's your setup here with your assistants? So I have a bunch of people to my left and a bunch of people to my right. Like you space them out every 10 meters or something. Mm -hmm. And we all have a bunch of clocks and we synchronize our clocks. So they all start at zero at the same moment and they all read 10 seconds at the same moment. They all read 100 seconds at the same moment. So we have a bunch of people now at different locations with synchronized clocks. How do you synchronize the clocks? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you run into special relativity problems syncing those clocks? It's complicated, but you can sync clocks using flashes of light. If you assume you know how long it takes light to get somewhere, you can synchronize clocks that are distant. Mm. Okay, so then each of these assistants have a, has a clock that's synchronized to yours, All right? Exactly. Now the train is passing by us, and I ask people to write down what time the front or the back of the train passed them. Which one? The front or the back? You can have them write down both. And then in order to measure the length of the train, what you need to do is get a measurement of where the back of the train was and where the front of the train was at the same time. You combine those two numbers, and that's your length. Say it again. You measure where the front and the back were at the same time? Yeah. You want to know how long something is? Then you want to know where's the front? And where's the back? And you want to take those measurements at the same moment, right? If you don't take those measurements at the same moment, you're not going to get the length of the train. Like if a parade is passing by you, it's moving, right? If you measure the front and the back at different moments, you're not going to get the actual length of the parade. Mm, I see. All right. So then you ask your assistants to write down when they saw the front of the train, when they saw the back of the train. And then what do you do? You get together and you have a picnic. <laughs> You get together, you spend some of that tip money on, you know, ice sculptures and chocolates for your picnic and whatever. And then you look at the numbers and you say, all right, Juan measured the back of the train to be negative half a kilometer. At the same time, Sally measured the front of the train to be at a location plus half a kilometer. So, okay, the train is one kilometer long because the front and the back were one kilometer apart at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm following. I'm following. So now, like you, you sort of ask, okay, at T equals one minute, where did your assistants measure the front of the train? And where did they measure the back of the train? And then that should tell you the length of the train. That should tell you the length of the train. And if you measured them at different times, like if Juan's clock was out of sync or Juan was lazy or Juan made a mistake or something, and he measured the back of the train earlier or later, then we'd get the wrong answer for the length of the train. It's crucial that you measure the front and the back at the same time. It seems sort of obvious to even spell that out, it's sort of dumb, like, duh, that's what length really is, but it's going to turn out to be a really important part of understanding length contraction. Okay, so uh, that, uh, I guess that's one way to measure it? <laughs> or is that the only way to measure the train? And that's sort of the standard setup. It allows you to avoid things like how long does it take information to travel from here to there and all that sort of stuff. I suppose you could come up with other techniques as well. All right. So now you get together and uh, you measure the train and you're saying the number you get from this setup is not the same as if the train was not moving at all. Exactly. Well, if the train was not moving at all, your setup wouldn't work. Would it? <laughs> well, if the train is parked in front of you, your setup would work. Right. You have somebody standing at the back of the train, somebody standing at the front of the train. They know where they are. And it doesn't really matter when they make the measurements if the train isn't moving. Mm, I see. Because, you know, you can measure the road in front of you. You can measure the train tracks. Yeah, exactly. Like if I line the train up with my two assistants and I know how far apart they are, then I know how long the train is. Okay, so with your setup and your assistants, which hopefully you're tipping generously, you measure the train to be one kilometer long. And now you're saying that's not really how long the train is. 
Yeah, let's say I measure the train to be one kilometer long when it's at rest, when it's not moving, and then the train makes a run past me at half the speed of light, you know, then what I'm going to measure this time is that the train is shorter, that it's only 850 meters long instead of one kilometer. Mm, interesting. Now, are we going to explain why that happens? Where does special relativity come in that makes you uh, measure it to be 850 meters? You're telling me that the, the assistants would measure the train to be shorter than a kilometer, but I guess my intuition is like, what? How can that be? Because like your setup seemed perfectly, you know, logical and sensical. And it should measure, in my intuition, it should measure the train to be a kilometer. Because, you know, uh, Juan measured the front of the train moving at this point at this time. And Sally measured the back of the train moving a kilometer away at the same time. Why would it look shorter than a kilometer? Let's unpack what that question really means. The why question. You're saying that the train was one length at rest, and so you expect it to still be that length later. That sounds reasonable, but it actually contains a big assumption. The assumption that lengths are absolute rather than relative to velocity, that lengths are always the same no matter how fast you're going. I could ask you, why do you expect the train to always have the same length? That's just actually an assumption we're making about the world. And it turns out it's not how the world actually works. The world actually works differently. Lengths are relative. They depend on velocity. You just never noticed before because it's a subtle effect. So you, like everyone before Einstein, made the wrong assumption based on your limited experience. The assumption that length is fixed, that it's universal and doesn't depend on velocity. But it turns out it's not. It's relative. So that's the experimental observation. That's what we see in the world. And on top of that, it has to be relative in order to make sense, to be consistent with a constant speed of light. So A, we can now tell that the world works this way. Lengths are relative, not absolute. And B, it's a natural theoretical consequence of the speed of light being the same for everyone, which has important consequences for time and then eventually for length. Mm. I'm going to walk you through it, but the short version of the story is that, number one, the speed of light is constant for everyone, which means that, number two, time is not universal, that people can disagree about whether things happen at the same time. And remember that measuring the front and back of the train at the same time was crucial to our measurement. So disagreeing about simultaneity, when to measure the front and back of the train, means, number three, we're going to disagree about the length of the train. Okay, that was the short version, so let's back up. Something we know is true is that the speed of light is the same for everyone. If you're on the train and you shine a flashlight from the back of the train towards the front, you see it move at the speed of light relative to the train and to you. On the ground, I see it move at the speed of light relative to me, which means it's not moving at the speed of light relative to the train, according to me. That's number one, the basic fact from which all special relativity derives that everyone measures the speed of light relative to them to be the same. So how does that mess up our concept of time? Well, if you stand in the middle of the train and shine two flashlights, one forwards and one backwards, then you'll see them reach the front and the back at the same time, right? Makes sense. Same distance, same speed. 
But on the ground, I also see those beams moving at the speed of light. But now I see the back of the train rushing forwards towards the beam. So it reaches the beam first compared to the front of the train, which is racing away from the beam. So you and I disagree about whether the beams hit the front and back at the same time. That was point number two. It all comes down to the end to time. It's because the way Einstein changed our understanding of the universe required us to understand that time depends on the observer. That's not just location that depends on the observer, but also time depends on the observer. And because time depends on the observer, whether two things happen at the same time depends on the observer. We've talked about this a few times, this concept of simultaneity. Like do two things happen at the same time depends on your velocity. And because measurements of length require two measurements at the same time, then your measurement of length depends on your notion of simultaneity. Do Juan and Sally measure the train front and back at the same time? They think so, but the person on the train thinks they don't, which is why they have different measurements of the length of the train. Between us and the observers on the train, but like all of your assistants are not moving relative to each other. That's right. And they all have synchronized clocks. You told me they were synchronized. So what do you mean that their measurements are not happening at the same time? Or if, like if they measure, Juan measures the front of the train, Sally measures the back of the train, and they write down on a piece of paper what um, their measurements, and then they bring the papers to you, aren't those things synchronized? I'm not seeing how, what you're saying about time and, and how that's changing your assistant's measurement. Yeah, I think that those measurements are synchronized, and I think my measurement of 850 meters is totally right. But if you're on the train, then you think that those measurements are not synchronized. You're like, no, Juan and Sally made those measurements at different times. That's why they got a shorter length. From your point of view, those two measurements were not made at the same time. Why not? We synchronized our clocks. I'm synchronized with everybody on the ground, but I'm not synchronized with people on the train because those people are moving relative to me, and moving clocks cannot stay synchronized. Okay, so forget the people on the train. Let's just focus on Huang and Sally. Okay, Huang and Sally on the ground. Yeah. They have synchronized clocks to mine. They're synchronized to each other. And you're saying they would measure the train to be 850 meters. Yes, whereas somebody on the train says that... No, no, forget, forget, forget <laughs> the person on the train. Okay. Now the train stops, turns around, comes back, and parks in front of me. Mm -hmm. Now I would measure the train to be a kilometer? Yes. So what happened there? Like did space contract or I, I guess I'm not seeing the connection with time or, or at least I feel like we're not explaining that. Well, velocity and time are very closely related, right? We're not talking about a single point. We're talking about two points. We're talking about the front of the train and we're talking about the back of the train. And we're talking about the distances between them. And we're talking about measuring them at a certain time. And so, of course, time is going to be involved here, right? So you said we synchronized our clocks. So isn't it sort of like a universal time? But you can only synchronize clocks in one frame. Okay, so we've established that we can synchronize our clocks on the ground, but that doesn't mean they're synchronized for other people, like the people on the train. I feel like I, this is maybe confusing me more to think about the people on the train. Like, let's say I don't care about the people on the train. Like, I just care about what Sally and Juan measure now when the train is moving, and then later when the train stops and comes back and they measure the, the distance again. Why are those two measurements different? Okay, your question is, if the train is one kilometer long when it's sitting in front of me, or equivalently, if the people on the train measure it to be one kilometer because it's not moving relative to them, then why do we measure it to be shorter on the ground when it's moving past us? How does our disagreement about synchronized clocks get translated to a disagreement about the length? 
Well, the most direct way to say it is that to measure the length of the train, you have to measure the front and back at the same time. But if you disagree about what at the same time means, then you're going to disagree about the length of the train. So what's going on here exactly? How do the unsynced clocks make people measure different times? I know you don't want to think about the people on the train, but you kind of have to because when we say the train is one kilometer in length, what that means is that it's one kilometer for people on the train, for people not moving relative to the train. By their definition of at the same time, the front and back are one kilometer apart. That's kind of what it means. But for people on the ground, they have a different definition of at the same time. They think that the people on the train's measurement is wrong. The people on the ground think that the people on the train measure the back of the train first and later measure the front of the train. The people on the ground think the people on the train are not measuring the front and back at the same time, which is why they get a longer measurement. They get a full kilometer. Like, imagine if you took a one meter long stick moving past you and you measured the back of it now and the front of it later in 10 seconds or whatever, you'd get a measurement that was way too long. That's what the people on the ground think the people on the train are doing to get one kilometer instead of 850 meters. The people on the ground think that their own measurements are synchronized and they get 850 meters. The people on the train think that the measurements on the ground are not at the same time. The people on the train think that the people on the ground are measuring the front before they're measuring the back. And that's why the people on the ground are getting a measurement that's too short. So there's no like, what is the real length of the train? Or why does a train look shorter when it's moving faster? Its length depends on your velocity. We just never noticed it before. All right, so let's dig into maybe this idea of uh, that it has to do with time. And let's talk about how time changes uh, due to special relativity and see if that maybe explains why the train, uh, we measure the train to be different lengths here and then later when it stops. So we'll dig into that. But first, let's take another quick break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Little hands and minds can start learning anytime. The good and the beautiful gives you everything you need to spark a love of lifelong learning. 
Give your preschoolers engaging, hands-on material built on high academic standards and wholesome values. Find a variety of free resources and affordable curriculum to ignite your child's curiosity. Start your journey now at goodandbeautiful.com. The Good and the Beautiful. Bring home a love of learning. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. All right, we're asking the question, why do moving objects look shorter? And Daniel, you're saying it really depends on the idea of time being variable. How does time being variable affect uh, Sally and Huang, your assistants' measurements of the train? I think time is crucial to resolving this sort of apparent paradox. One of the reasons it's hard to imagine a stick getting shorter or a train getting shorter is because you think of it as a rigid object, which throws you off. Instead, just think of three train cars moving in sync, one in the back, one in the middle, and one in the front. Now, what if the middle car tells the other two to speed up? From your point of view, the message arrives at the rear car first, which speeds up before the lead car can, effectively shrinking the distance between them. From their point of view, however, the message arrives at the lead and the rear car at the same time, and the distance hasn't changed. When they decelerate again, the reverse happens and the cars come to rest with the same original distance. So you can see how different senses of time lead to different measurements of distance. But how is it possible for the train cars to get closer together and like not notice? What if you exaggerated the effect so they would bump into each other? Well, the answer is they also shrink because space itself is shrinking. The atoms are like little cars. So think of the train as the front of the train and the back of the train, not as one object. Thinking of it as one long train tricks you into using your intuition, thinking of it as a rigid object, which actually can't exist in our universe. Like when people ask, what happens if you push a stick a light year long? Does one end move instantly, sending information faster than light to the other end? No, there's no rigid stick. You push on one end and the pressure wave takes time to reach the other end and to move it. It's the same with the train. It's linked together, but it's not a rigid object of fixed length. So think about the front and the back separately. Now, the super confusing thing about this whole length contraction thing is that it's relative, just the way time dilation is. People on the ground think the train has shrunk, but people on the train, and I know you don't want to talk about them, they think the distances on the ground have shrunk because the ground is moving relative to them. Like, let's say they're about to enter a one kilometer long tunnel. I see the train is moving, and so I see it's going to be shorter than the tunnel, whereas the train sees the tunnel is shorter. So who's right? Like, is the train actually going to be in the tunnel or not? 
And we construct these situations to like confront the universe and say like, what's really happening? Because we imagine that the concept of length is absolute, that the train has an actual length, right? That something has to happen in the universe and only one thing can happen. You can't have like two people seeing conflicting events. So understanding how time flows and how time is relative is crucial to understanding how both of those things can seem true, that somebody on the ground can see the train as shorter and fitting in the tunnel and somebody else on the train can see the tunnel as shorter. So the train always sticks out. Mm. Okay, here's the scenario. And we'll go with your tunnel idea. Okay, so um, I have a train that when it's standing still in front of me, I measure it to be a kilometer. Now I build a tunnel that and the tunnel's not moving and I measure and I make the tunnel to be one kilometer long, exactly the same length as the, as the train. Now, I put uh, Juan in the fr at one end of the tunnel and Sally at the back of the tunnel, okay? And we synchronize our clocks, okay? Now, I move the train and I put it inside the tunnel so that it's just, it fits perfectly inside the tunnel. Sally and Juan measure the train to be a kilometer long. Yes. Everybody with OCD out there is like, oh, that's so satisfying. It fits exactly in the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. I think by everybody, you mean all of our listeners, uh, if they like a physics <laughs> podcast. Now the train leaves the tunnel, goes away a few uh, kilometers, and then it comes back at half of the speed of light, let's say. And um, Sally, Juan, and I have our clock synchronized. The tunnel is zooming past, and we ask uh, Juan to measure when the front of the train passes his spot, and we ask Sally when the back of the train passes her spot at the other side of the tunnel, are you saying they're not going to report the same time? Because if they report the same time, then I have to conclude that the train was a kilometer long. No, that's right. They will not measure the same time. Juan at the back of the tunnel will measure a time earlier than Sally at the front of the tunnel. So according to you, Juan and Sally, who are in the tunnel's frame of reference, you will see the whole train inside the tunnel. That when the back end disappears into the tunnel, the front nose has not yet emerged from the tunnel and it's still 150 meters from the exit of the tunnel. So uh, Sally at the back is going to write down her number and they're going to, both numbers are not going to come back the same. That's right. Can you explain why? Like nobody is moving. Like Sally, Juan, they were both, staying the same they're the same observer in the same frame the, their time was synced the train was physically moving past them why did they measure a different time yes and juan and sally are synchronized according to themselves and people on the ground so they think their measurement makes sense and it does in their frame 850 meters is the length of the train and they see the people on the train who are measuring the train to be a full kilometer longer than the people on the ground are measuring the people on the ground see the people on the train making their measurements not at the same time and the reverse is true on the train people take measurements at what they think is the same time and they get one kilometer and the people on the train think the people on the ground are not synced that's why it's all about the relativity of simultaneity whether you think two things happen at the same time or not and that's what sets up this fun apparent paradox of whether the train will fit into a one kilometer tunnel juan and sally in the tunnel when they see it moving through they see it at 850 meters long and so they say yes the train fit in the tunnel but you have people on the train, they see the tunnel as shorter. 
they say, no, my train is still a kilometer long because the train is not moving for them. And so it's still at its same original length, but the tunnel is moving. So the tunnel is shorter. So they see the train sticking out of the tunnel. And in order for special relativity to make sense, you have to somehow reconcile these two things. Like what really happened? Did the train fit in the tunnel or not? Okay. So how do you reconcile it? So it all comes down to time, right? Remember how we talked about earlier in the episode that time is relative. Not just how time flows, but whether two things happen at the same time. That came from the observation that the speed of light is the same for everyone, which means people have to disagree about whether events happen at the same time. The example of the beams of light shooting along the train, people see them reaching the front and the back at the same time. People off the train see the light hitting the back of the train first. And the way to reconcile that is to have different times for all those people, for time to flow differently. And that's why it's crucial that we understand the clocks and the synchronization and that the front and the back of the train be measured at the same time. And the crucial thing is that at the same time is different for people on the train and for people on the ground because moving clocks flow differently, right? So on the ground, Juan and Sally are synchronized and they measure the train to be 850 meters long. But to the people on the train, Juan and Sally are not synchronized. Juan and Sally are measuring the front and the back of the train at different times, which is why Juan and Sally think the train is shorter and the people on the train think that it's not shorter. Because the people on the train think that Juan and Sally made a mistake. They're like, no, you guys measure the front and back at different times, which is why you're telling me it's 850 meters long when really it's a kilometer. How can it make sense for length to be contracted? Because it seems to violate our intuition. Like things have a length and they should just have a length. And how is it possible for things to get shorter as they get faster? Because that would lead to all sorts of weird paradoxes that actually can kind of make sense. And these paradoxes aren't paradoxes. They just show you that the world works differently than you imagined. Mm. Can it make sense that things moving quickly get shorter? Like, why doesn't that lead to contradictions? Oh, not, not like, why does it make sense? But like, why doesn't it lead to contradictions about the universe? Because I think we, we've established we, it's very hard to make it make sense. <laughs> but it is possible to make it make sense. And it makes sense to me. And I want to share that connection with everybody because it's a wonderful moment when it all clicks together in your head and you realize, oh, it is possible for both people to think the other one is shorter. For the people on the train to think the tunnel is shorter and for the people in the tunnel to think the train is shorter. Here's the detailed breakdown of what's going on with the train and the tunnel. Here's how it's possible for the team on the ground to see the train totally inside the tunnel and for the team on the train to see that the train is too long to ever all be in the tunnel at the same time. From the ground point of view, the train is shorter than the tunnel. So when the back end is inside the tunnel, the nose has not yet left the tunnel. Remember that we are comparing two events, front and back of the train, at what we consider to be at the same time. But the people on the train think that the ground team is making a mistake and that those events are not actually at the same time. For the people on the train, they think the ground team is comparing the front of the train at an earlier moment to the back of the train at a later moment, which is how the ground team sees the train inside the tunnel. From the point of view of the people on the train, the train is sticking out in both ends of the tunnel at the same time because the tunnel is shorter. The people on the ground think that's wrong. They think the train team came to that conclusion by comparing an earlier back end measurement when the train tail was still sticking out to a later front end measurement when the train nose is now sticking out. 
And the key is that they're measuring the fronts and the backs at different times. And it's all because time is relative and simultaneity is different and for people moving at different speeds. And, you know, to me, this comes down to like trying to see can special relativity make sense because it fundamentally changes your understanding of the world. It tells you the world really works in a different way than you imagined. And we want the world to make sense. Like I think back to the first time I ever heard this example of like somebody in a car turning on a flashlight and then hearing that those photons move at the same speed relative to the car as they do relative to the ground. And immediately my brain was like, hold on, red flag, that can't possibly make sense because then like when do those photons hit a wall or some obstacle? People in the car and people on the ground would disagree about that because they all say the photons are moving at the same speed, but there's different distances involved and all sorts of stuff. And so for me, it's about disentangling these feelings of contradiction, these ways that special relativity violates our intuition. You know, how can it possibly be that, that both these people make honest measurements which conflict with each other? One of the things I love about special relativity is that it tells you that like people can disagree and both be correct. You know, that's like the fundamental conclusion of, you know, simultaneity that, you know, two people can see different orders of events and both be honest and both be reporting what they see because the order of events depends on your relative velocity and your location. And there is no single absolute clock or single sense of space and time in the universe. And so people on the ground can see the train fitting in the tunnel and people on the train can see the train not fitting in the tunnel and both be correct. Like it's correct that if I measure the train when it's standing still, it'll fit in the tunnel. And if I measure when it's moving fast, I'm going to measure it being shorter than the tunnel. Yeah, exactly. And the people can see the train fitting in the tunnel because according to them, they're measuring the front and the back of the train at the same time. The people on the train don't see that happening because they think that the people in the tunnel are not measuring it at the same time because their concept of what the same time means is different than the people on the tunnel. In the end, that's why it all comes down to time. Understanding relative time is crucial because we're talking about a big extended object. It's a kilometer long. So the front and the back are separated by space and separated by time. And how time flows then has to affect your measurement of the length of it. Because in the end, measuring length means measuring the front and the back at the same time. Right. But again, you're answering the, the different question than maybe than the one we started with. Yeah, I guess the most direct answer to the question of the episode, why do things look shorter, is that they always have. We just never noticed. The fact that we ask why is because we've been led astray by our intuition, our unfounded assumption that the world has this property that lengths are absolute and are always the same at any speed. It turns out that's not true. And we can see that it's not true by doing experiments at various speeds, including very high speeds. Things really do shrink. So that explains why we ask the question, because the way the world works is in contrast with the way our intuition works. Why does the world work that way is the follow-up philosophical question. It turns out it has to in order to be consistent with this other thing we see, that the speed of light is constant for everyone. First consequence of the speed of light being constant for everyone is that simultaneity is not universal. People at different speeds disagree about what at the same time means. I think Juan and Sally measure the front and back at the same time, but people on the train don't, so we measure different lengths. And the beauty part, the really gorgeous part, is that this is what makes it all click together. You can have some kind of global understanding of how everyone is seeing things differently because you can see, as we just explained, that people are measuring the train at different times and getting different answers, 850 meters or one kilometer. They all get different answers and they're all right. 
because they are measuring different things. Length at rest means something different than length in motion because it depends on sinking measurements at the front and the back of the train. Length is not absolute and it can't be for the world to make sense at high speeds. It has to be relative for everything to be coherent. Like to us, to Juan and Sally, the train really did shrink. I think is what you're saying. Like the space that comprises the train, the, the space that the train sits in that is moving with the train, it contracted. It got smaller. It got smaller for Juan and Sally. For Juan and Sally. And that's just the way it is. Space just contracted. And it's all due to the speed limit of the universe because if it didn't, if that space didn't contract, then things would sort of break down. Yeah, if length doesn't contract, then you break all the rules of special relativity. Another way to think about it is that length contraction is sort of the same thing as time dilation. For a completely separate example that helps people understand the link between length contraction, which we've been talking about today, and time dilation, think about what happens if you try to travel to a distant star at a really high speed. Say you need to get 10 light years away and you travel at 98% of the speed of light. From the point of view of people on Earth you left behind, it takes you almost 10 years to get there. But they also see your clock running slowly. They see that for you, it's only been two years. That's time dilation, right? But look at it from the other point of view, from the ship. From the pilot's point of view, the distant star is moving towards her at 98% of the speed of light. So the distance to the star is shorter than 10 light years. And it only takes her about two years to get there because it's only about two light years for her. So she experiences two years to get there because the length was shortened. What's really happening? Well, length contraction is just really another way to look at time dilation. And in the end, it's all about time. I think basically you're saying that the, the train shrank to uh, Sally and the Juan's perspective. <laughs> yeah, and it's all connected to time. And in the end, time dilation and length contraction are really just two different ways to see the same effect. All right. Well, uh, again, special relativity is hard. Especially in an audio format. For those of you who like learning visually, I don't know why you're listening to a podcast. But we're glad that you are. <laughs> Let's make that clear. We're not saying go watch YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do want to learn more about this stuff, look up space-time diagrams. They're really helpful. It's interesting, though, to think about how malleable the universe is, right? Like the idea that a train would shrink just because it's going fast, that's kind of weird. It is very weird, yeah. And it's weird that it makes sense in the end, that the universe is just so different from the way we imagined it. But, you know, that's the project of physics is not to just accept our intuitions, but to confront them with data and information and say, how can we make sense of all this? What story can we tell about the universe that ties it all together? All right, the next time I take a train, I'm going to be thinking about this. Like, am I thinner or am I shorter? <laughs> Depends if you're lying down or standing up. Yeah, exactly, right? So I should stand up on the train the whole time. <laughs> don't forget to buy tickets for Juan and Sally. Yeah, and don't forget to tip the conductor, too, <laughs> with a big fat envelope of money. <laughs> no tip contractions here, please. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.